I have a message on my heart, and and it surrounds the grace of God. It's a, it, and we hear that all the time, don't we? The grace of God. And I think like like many phrases and words that we hear over and over again, we get a little bit disconnected from the full breadth of the meaning of the grace of God. So we're gonna we're gonna tackle that this morning, and and. And, and it's going to be a whirlwind tour through scriptures. That's okay. What was it, Elijah, taken up in the whirlwind? Maybe we'll have some of that. But it's going to be a great morning, and I hope you can stick with me. And what we're looking at is the grace of God, and, and, and specifically how to experience the grace of God. But let me start with our reading this morning, which is from Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. That was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. You may be seated. Father, we gather this morning, our hearts full. We stand in awe, amazement at these events that took place two millennia ago. And that would happen 2,000 years before our time. It has rattled the world, it has changed history forever. Father, we come before you today to receive of you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, that in love you put him on a cross. That, Father, you sacrificed him out of love for your creation, for your people. Father, we want to, this morning, receive your goodness, your grace in fullest measure, not in part. We want to receive all of the grace that you have for us, and we pray you would bless our time. Father, that you would give me 
the words to share, that I would speak with clarity, and that, Father, you would give our hearts the ability to hear your word and respond to it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So the telling of this event, the culmination of Jesus' life, arrest, trial, crucifixion, rising from the grave and overcoming death has fueled Christian hope and testimony for two millennia and churches around the world this morning are gathering to celebrate this event. Billions of people affected by this event in this small town in Israel. And for some of us, we might be left wondering, am I missing something? So I want to ask the question this morning, and the question is this, are you experiencing the grace and peace of God in your life? You may have heard of the grace of God, but honestly, maybe it seems a little vague or unclear or maybe a little bit of a bait and switch. So this morning, we want to answer what is the grace of God and how do we experience it? And to do so, we have to start at the beginning. We have to start with God. And if you're following along with these this morning, and again, I'm going to be jumping to a lot of different scriptures, so it's probably fruitless to try and turn your Bibles with me. Just sit tight, listen, and and, uh, uh, um, and, and maybe what will help you is there's a bit of an acrostic in here. So we're looking at the word grace, and the acrostic is going to help us define it and comprehend it. So again, we start with God. God is the creator. He is the creator of grace itself. He's the beginning of all things. And you know the first verse of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you know, secular scientists will tell us quite confidently there is no spiritual world. It's completely material. And that we live in a world of time, space, and matter. That's all there is. We're chemicals. There's nothing else. And I find it so fascinating when I look at this first verse of God's declaration of his creation. He says, in the beginning, that's time. God created the heavens, that's space. And the earth, that's matter. You can't look at a painting without recognizing there's a painter. You can't look at a building without recognizing there's a designer. And you can't look at the glory of God's creation without recognizing there is a creator. The vast expanse of the universe and everything in it is the work of God alone. He is the creator, the sustainer, and ruler of all things. All creation reflects his majesty and his glory. Psalm 19 the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And as creator, God alone 
is worthy of the praise of his creation. Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God, our creator. He's not only our creator, he is a God of holiness and a God of love. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord all God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, Revelation declares. See, holiness is the attribute of God that makes him completely unique and separate from his creation. God is majestic, glorious, perfect in every way. The slightest sin and imperfection cannot dwell in his holy presence. The Bible says of God, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Sometimes that's hard to see in our day and age, especially if you're in the city and the, the city lights obscure the view of the sky. But I remember several years back when a friend got me interested in astronomy. And, and I went on an event where the scouts were gathered, a bunch of troops were gathered out by Bellotto Park, far distance from city lights, and we had four or five telescopes set up where all the scouts could move around. We had uh, the, the scopes set up on particular stars, but even without the telescope, the sky was so clear and you would look up I don't know if you've ever seen this, but you could literally see the Milky Way. It just spread out across the sky. It almost looked like smoke, but if you look closely, it wasn't. It was just so many billions and billions of stars that filled the sky. And I'll never forget that night. But this, the, the sky itself, the heavens, declared the glory of God. Well, God is not only the God of holiness, he is the God of love. And God's love is just as great as his holiness and might. God's love is demonstrated by his care for all of his creatures and his gracious disposition and compassion towards us. The Bible speaks of the goodness and the loving kindness of God. Hear the psalmist. When I look at your heaven's the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Isn't that amazing? What makes us so special? What makes us so special? The thing is, we are unlike the rest of all of God's creation. We're created in the very image of God himself. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Think about this. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. And because God is our loving creator and ruler, we are responsible to love and worship and obey him and him alone. 
Since he created us, he has the right to lay his claim on our lives. Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him shall you serve. And again, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So we must ask, why then do we not reflect God's glory and obey him as we should? Well, if the first letter in our acrostic was God, the second letter in our acrostic is R, rebellion. Soon after, God created Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. They willfully chose to rebel against God, and sin entered the human race. Every person thereafter has inherited that sinful nature and has continued to rebel against our Creator The result of sin is that we have failed to reflect God's glory. In order to dwell in his holy presence, God does not require that we merely do our best to live good lives. He requires us to reflect his perfection. God said, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Leviticus 19. See, God does not judge us based upon how we compare to our fellow human beings, to our neighbor or that annoying guy at the office. No. He compares us to himself. And clearly all of us fall short of his perfect standard. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul declares in Romans. We're all sinners both by nature because we inherited our sinful natures from Adam and Eve, and by choice, because we all willfully choose to disobey God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And in reality, I've never met anybody that lives up to their own standards, let alone that of a holy God. So because God is perfect in holiness, he cannot tolerate the presence of sin. Our sins have separated us from our creator. Isaiah said, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. And because of sin, because sin separates us from God, it carries tragic consequences. Did you ever wonder what the Bible says about death? What death is? The Bible says that death is actually wages. It's payment. The wages of sin is death. And one day we will all stand before God to give an account for our deeds. Just as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment, says the writer of Hebrews. And Jesus warned again, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. God will separate 
the sinners from the righteous, the righteous will enter into eternal life in heaven to dwell with God. Sinners will be sent away from the presence of God into a place of eternal punishment called hell. Jesus also warned these sinners will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Frankly, our future apart from Christ is quite bleak. Our circumstances are dire. So how can sinners become righteous in God's sight? A stands for atonement. Atonement means to repair a broken relationship. God, because of his great love for his creation, sent his son Jesus into the world so that sinners may be reconciled to God. We all know John 3.16, but hear it fresh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Peace with God was made possible by everything Jesus did. And here today we focus on the resurrection, don't we? But what peace and grace Christ provided for came not only through his resurrection, but it came through his life, it came through his death, and it came through his resurrection. In his life, Jesus did for sinners what they could not do for themselves, and he succeeded where we failed. We need to understand the Bible, what the Bible declares about Jesus. Jesus was fully God. John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word, Jesus, was God. And Jesus, God, became man. It says in John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This God-man lived a perfect, sinless life. The Bible says that Jesus is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He knows every weakness, he knows every temptation, and yet he never sinned. The Bible says that Jesus committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Well, he provides for us not only through his life, but he provides for us through his death. God has provided atonement between himself and sinners through the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. Jesus died as the substitute for sinners. He literally died in our place. But God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. This didn't happen after we cleaned ourselves up. This didn't happen after we changed our attitude. This happened when we were still enemies with God. 
First Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. To fully understand the death of Jesus, we have to understand that Jesus died as a substitute for sinners. He died in our place. At the cross, an amazing exchange took place. Our sins were credited to Jesus. All of our debt was placed on him. And his righteousness was credited to those who would follow and trust in him. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is called the great exchange. His death provided this for us. His life, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus' death is not the end of the story. Many of you were here last Friday night, and we enjoyed a, a wonderful Good Friday service. But three days later, he arose victorious from the grave. Death has been defeated. Jesus' resurrection is proof that God has approved his ministry. His sacrifice was sufficient. Jesus alone is Savior and Lord. From Luke's Acts of the Apostle, he says, he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. By his life, Jesus attained righteousness on behalf of sinners. By his death, Jesus paid the penalty that sinners owed. By his resurrection, Jesus defeated death for all who will follow him. The blessings of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection apply only to those who will, who will trust in the Lord and follow him as Savior. So what does this look like? To respond in this kind of fashion is miraculous. This isn't normal to us. And it's what the Bible calls conversion. And that's our next letter, C, for conversion. We must each receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord by a voluntary, intentional act of will. This act includes both repentance and faith. Repentance involves turning from sin to obey God. Faith in an active trust in Jesus' atoning life and death. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Repentance and faith, they're one and the same. They're just two sides of the same penny. You can't turn towards Jesus if you're turning towards your sin. The only way you can turn towards Jesus is to turn away from your sin. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we must repent. To repent repent means to turn from our sins and turn to Jesus in love and obedience. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And Jesus said in Luke's gospel, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. God offers us salvation as a free gift. That's the grace. God's grace comes to us through faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. We heard the first part of Romans 6.23 when Paul shared that for the wages of sin is death. But the rest of that verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the picture that the Bible draws for us is that sin has built a barrier between ourselves and our creator God. Christ, life, death, and resurrection breaks that sin barrier and believers can be united with God through him. That's the gospel. God's grace comes to those who receive Jesus by faith, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And the Bible goes on to say that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be seen. You will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you remember that story of Paul and Silas in, in prison for their faith? And an earthquake comes along, rattles the prison, the doors open up. For some reason, Paul and Silas stay still. The jailer, who had been sleeping at the moment, is woken into sleep, sees all the doors is open, and realizes, oh, I'm, I'm toast. Pulls his sword, he's about to kill himself, and Paul cries out, don't. We're all here. We're all here. The jailer takes him home. Clearly, he had been listening to Paul and Silas preaching while in the prison, because he immediately says, says, what must, I be do, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas answer clearly and succinctly, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Paul believed in the gospel and he, he suffered great persecution, great ridicule, but I love how he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For those who repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, God gives the promise of eternal life. And that's our fifth letter, E, eternal life. Jesus promised, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. 
He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Jesus brings new life to all who put their faith in him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is God's glorious promise. Jesus brings new life to all who place their faith in him. And this promise of abundant life does not mean that we will be free from troubles. In fact, the followers of Jesus can expect to face trials and difficulties. He tells us that in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The reality is, is we still live in a sinful world. If you have put your faith in Christ, you have, you have received reconciliation from your God. You'll experience grace and peace in your life. It will change everything, your relationships, everything. But the world around you doesn't know that peace. And there seems to be greater rage, greater anger, greater evil than ever before in our world. But in spite of these difficulties, Jesus promises his followers a peace beyond understanding. The peace of Jesus is something that only his followers experience. Jesus put it this way, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Listen to this promise. Paul tells us nothing in the universe can separate believers from the love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The promise of God to those who trust in Jesus is peace with God in this world and in the eternal life to come. And when Jesus returns in power and glory, who have, those who have trusted in him for salvation will live forever in his glorious presence. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This wonderful gift of eternal life, eternal life is given to all those who have been saved through faith in Jesus. So, we started with the question, what is the most important question today? 
the most important question for each of us to ask is, where do I stand in the sight of God? Where do I stand in the sight of God? The Bible says that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. That's hell. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I know this is hard stuff, and this isn't the normal sermon we give on a Sunday morning. But I tell you, this comes from love. This comes from the knowledge of standing on the other side myself. On the cross, Jesus suffered the justice and wrath of God on behalf of all those who trust in him as Savior and Lord. That's the good news. On the other hand, those who do not trust in him as Savior and Lord will rightly suffer the judgment of God themselves. So the Bible is just, it's so clear on this. We can't miss it. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains upon him. Jesus put it this way. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Sounds black and white. And it is. There is, there is no middle ground. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Everlasting life, joy, peace await those who stand on the Lord's side. Hear this word from the Apostle Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, spiritual birth, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So the question remains, where do you stand in the sight of God? Are you on the Lord's side? Or are you on your own side? Are you living for God through Jesus? Or are you living for yourself? If Jesus returned today, would you experience the everlasting joy of heaven with him? Or would you suffer the wrath of God? So the next question, are you ready to follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If so, you must repent. You must repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus alone 
for salvation. You must believe that he lived, died, and rose again for your salvation. You must commit your life to him as your living Savior and Lord. If you are ready to have your sins forgiven, to receive the gift of eternal life, then I plead with you. Trust in Jesus now. Are you ready? In a minute, we're going we're gonna to pray together. And I just encourage you to, in your seat, to talk to God. Admit to him that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Ask him to have mercy on you and to forgive your sins. He is faithful. And thank him on this day of all days for sending his son, Jesus, whose life, death, and resurrection secured salvation for all who will follow him. Commit your life to Jesus. Tell him that you repent of your sins and trust in him as Savior and Lord. And then ask him to fill you with his presence by giving you his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit will empower you to know him and to live this life and to glorify him. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me pray. Father, these are, these are weighty words. These are not words to be taken casually, lightly, without thought and purpose. But Father, we give you thanks that you have, you have clearly made yourself known both through your creation and by sending your Son who is the perfect representation of you in human form. And Father, for giving us your word that declares to us what is your moral requirements. And Father, myself, like everyone else in this room, we declare we fail. We have absolutely no ability to keep your moral law. Father, we have, a, we have a sin nature. And Father, we confess that we choose to disobey your moral law. But Father, we cry out, Lord Jesus, we put our faith in you your death upon the cross paid my debt. Your resurrection from the grave proved you could declare, I have eternal life. Father, we give you thanks for your son, Jesus. We pray by the power of your spirit that those who you have spoken to this morning Father, would put their whole 
faith, hope, and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, that they would cling to him to the end of their days. Father, we pray that they would turn to your word for nourishment and growth. We pray that they would make themselves part of a body of Christ, that they would commit themselves to a church to be accountable to other believers. And Father, to avail themselves of the encouragement that comes with being part of the body of Christ. Thank you for this day. We give you all the glory and praise in Christ's name. Amen. Let me leave you with this benediction from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. George Smith. Have a blessed Easter. Thank you.